beautiful people and you fucking nerds. It is KP back again with G Rose. Hello. And we are here for another edition of our Flick Chart Debate series. For those of you who didn't listen to the last one, I recommend you do because it was fucking awesome. We had like at least three really solid debates that took a long time for us to figure out which categories went where and everything. I convinced Jordy a couple times on my film choices, so... I convinced Kevin one time on yeah. my film choice. So, won that one for myself. Um, and this week, we are going to start off... Actually, for those of you who didn't listen to last week's, let's just go over what we're doing for this series. Basically, Jordy and I are going on to this website called flickchart.com. It is basically a website that aggregates your favorite films trying to create a top 20 list for yourself. And how they do this is they put some of the best films of all time against each other, and you have to pick between the two. And out of that, choosing, you know, over and over again, your favorite films, it creates a favorite list for you. So what me and Jordy are going to do is go on this website, go through the picks, and hopefully land on a few decisions that will be divisive, and then we'll discuss kind of which films are better than what, and go from there. And we are starting off this week with a award-winning film that is very revered against a childhood favorite that won nothing, but is still a great film in our minds, and that is 2000's Gladiator versus 1995's Jumanji. G. Rose, do you want to start this one off? I will start this one off. So for me, it's tough. Uh, because I love both of these movies, obviously. Uh, Jumanji, special place, childhood heart. Even to this day, going back and seeing some of the terrible CGI, it just reminds you of all the happy place. And still hearing the boom, 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 boom of the drums when it first comes in with that Jumanji board being seen. And then seeing what is arguably one of Robin Williams' best performances. What live action. year is it? <laughs> The like, amount of memes that it. that quote alone has caused. It's true. That quote alone has caused so many memes. Uh, this movie has stayed relevant. It spawned a, uh, a reboot with Dwayne no, Johnson. No, sequel. That's true, yeah. Yeah, because it was a true sequel. Yeah, no, it was a sequel. Because it was a totally separate premise, no reboot. They, it was a sequel based on a VHS tape in comparison to the actual game board. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just really, really cool start of... Um, uh, what's her name from Spider-Man? Kirsten Dunst's career, really. This was her big takeoff film, was this, when she was the child uh, playing the little girl. Right, right, man. Um, and then Robin Williams, of course, hilarious. The whole premise of the film, you know, just funny, good, happiness. Um, and then Gladiator. One of arguably the best films of all time, especially in the recent... 30-year mark. Yeah, well, year 2000, I mean, this is what kick-started New Millennium for everybody. This was the best picture of the New Millennium. Yeah. Um, seeing some of the fight sequences in this movie, that amazing storyline, uh, just incredible acting. I mean, Russell Crowe at the top of his game. Yeah. Yeah, it was very, very, very good. So then it goes into the choice of which this fucking website usually puts in front of us is do you go with the award-winning legendary film or do you go with the film that is the underrated one that you've loved as a kid and a lot of people have a lot of reverence for? Oh, yeah. Um, this, that's right up there with Hook for me, right? Yeah. Jumanji and Hook are like right on that same 
par. Yeah. And so when I compare both of those to Gladiator, for me, I would rather watch Jumanji. Over Gladiator. Over Gladiator, but I'm picking Gladiator. Yeah. I mean, on paper, it <laughs> it is the better film. It'll be remembered through the test of time, I think. Uh, Jumanji, though, for me, is one of those films that... Yeah, it's a childhood favorite. You, It always is brought up. You, whenever you think about it, you think fondly about it. Always. Um, it leaves a great taste in your mouth. And, like, yeah, so many good one-liners and jokes. And Still know. some legitimately scary moments. When you were a kid, like, if you were, you know, five to ten years old and you saw this movie for the first time, there were a few legitimate jump scares in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? But I think you're right. As much as I do love Jumanji, it does have kind of a nice feels good inside the kind feels of feeling. good man gives you the feels gladiator is clearly the better movie yeah but you know i think it's just because we are big fans of gladiator that's gonna be hard for something to topple that over in a choice it's true and gladiator for me is one of my favorite best picture winning movies probably of the last 20 years yeah really like when i go back through and i see some of the dramas and some of the amazing films that are made but am I really going to re-watch those? Like, how many times am I going to watch Birdman again? Right? That's true, but... And whereas it's... Gladiator, I've seen that a dozen times at least. It's a yearly watch for me. It's amazing to have on in the background. Incredible performances. Um, okay, how about this question? If you saw... If you were, like, going to clean the house... Have something in the background. You found these two DVDs. Which one do you put in? Gladiator or Jumanji? Depends on my mood. Well, did, did I just get dumped? Because then I'm watching Gladiator. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm in a good mood and I find these two movies, it's going to be Jumanji that I put in. Mm -hmm. But every once in a while, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go looking for Gladiator. I'm going to find Jumanji and be happy that I found it. But I'm going to specifically go looking to watch Gladiator. And I think that's the that's the kicker for me. Father to a murdered daughter, husband to, to a, a murdered, murdered wife, wife, and I will have my revenge. Yeah. Yeah. I don't and know I that's still right quote, love, I still love the ending of that movie so much. Yeah. I think oh, I think we're God. in agreement that yeah. Gladiator is going to take over the champion on that one. Agreed. Definitely right. agreed. Next up <laughs> kind of a no context the royal tannenbaums against ai artificial intelligence which by most people's standards is the worst spielberg movie in his catalog yeah 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 it's between that and i think war of the worlds is pretty high up no jurassic park 2 is really high up there. No, I like I like I like Jurassic World. Park 2, but if we're talking general consensus, I think Jurassic Park 2 is better than AI in oh, it is. world. I Yeah, it's definitely better yeah. than both. Like I can go back and rewatch that, but But Royal Tannenbaums, Royal Tannenbaums is easily one of Wes Anderson's best films well, yeah, against it, one of Spielberg's worst. <laughs> yeah. Although that's the thing is when you really take Wes Anderson's best Spielberg's worst. Yeah. Right? Bringing that down. They're not even on the same ballpark, but no. it is a funny uh, funny comparison. Let's hope that we get to have a better film for Royal Tannenbaums to come up against, because I like I like discussing that. Yeah, film. definitely. That would be a good one to but end up doing. that decision. That's not that one, it's worth. pretty one-sided. Star Trek 
2009 first right. Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. Well, 2009 Star Trek, so we're looking at the reboot. We're looking at Chris Pine, um, everybody, uh, Zoe Saldana, and everybody coming in with that movie. Revenge of the Fallen, remind me, is the third one? It's the second one. Isn't second one Dark of the Moon? That's the third one. That's the third one. The second one was like This the is how memorable worst. the Transformers <laughs> movies are, people. This one was the sequel that was like borderline racist in its depiction of the new Transformers they had on. There were people who were like, oh, yeah, they're like ethnic, ethnic sounding just, yeah, no. robots. I, and they're and like they little were, tiny dumpy guys. Yeah, it was yeah. stupid as fuck. And yeah. like it's as bad as the Transformers movies did get, this one is literally the worst yeah, of the all of them. Yeah, the epitome of bad. Yeah, and the know. Star Trek reboot was super surprising it was a, to a lot of people. It was really good. I was, was shocked. Yeah, it was, I think it really kind of kicked off a trend of like what is possible to reboot and what's not. Because at that point, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but reboots, the reboot like culture was just starting to take off. There had more. There had been some reboots in the five years preceding that, but not... Not any that are really noteworthy. Yeah. Right? This was one of the ones where it was a full, brand new re-beginning aside from, you know, the eventual, spoiler alert, yeah. 10 years later, uh, the fact that uh, Leonard Nimoy is in the movie, that he essentially has gone back in time and has found this alternate reality to then play out um, with Kirk and with uh, Spock, that... It, it is very much a true reboot, mm. and I really like the way that they did it. I like the updated modernization of it a little bit, but still not straying that far from the source material. Yeah. Um, and this was a really, really good example of a good, solid, well-done reboot that obviously has done very well. It's had two sequels now. Yeah, they, they Star Trek Beyond was the third one. Yeah, so yeah, it was Star There's Trek. There's rumors that they want to do a spinoff film about... Kirk's father, because in, in this one, in the first one, you got a flashback of Kirk's father sacrificing himself in the ship, who was played by Chris Hemsworth yep. before he became Thor. So yeah. now that he's Chris oh, Hemsworth, wow. yeah. Holy now cow. that he's like Chris fucking Hemsworth, they want to yeah. do a spinoff, like exploring his exploring life his and everything. Life. But cool. I feel like this film really did give the permission for studios to now pick your favorite films and reboot them that a lot of people said like, no, you can't fucking reboot this. You can't touch that. Yeah. This was the first time because a lot of people were like, you can't do the old 70s Star Trek. Like, Kirk and Spock are untouchable. Kirk? How are you going to do another Kirk? Like, only William Shatner could be Kirk. And then Chris Pine comes along and does his version of Kirk that was such a good tribute to Shatner. Yeah. But and also doing his own thing that once it showed that that could work, that like, if I felt like after this point, it was like, everything's on the table yeah you can reboot anything as long as you do it correctly you can reboot something that people are very afraid of rebooting as long as it's not a direct like recreation that it's like paying homage but it's also doing its own thing oh completely so forgive me if i'm wrong this is going to be a bit of a side note batman begins was that 2010 that was 2005 no dark knight 2008 Oh yeah, you're right. Dark and uh, never mind, never mind. Ignore me. Dark Knight Rises was, was 2012. Yeah, that one. That was what I was thinking of. Okay. So yeah, anyway, Star me. Trek. Star Trek. Yeah, Star Trek. Clear victor for me on this one as well. Done. All right. On next to up. the next. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. So in our case, Philosopher's Stone because we're smart. You know, 
and Casino Royale, the introduction of Daniel Craig as James Bond back in 2006. This is a good pairing. It is, because this is... Huge fucking franchises. Yes, we're talking what is arguably the biggest franchise of all time. In sheer movie count, I don't think anything comes close except for maybe Police Academy. In Harry Potter? Casino or, Royale. Or the James, James Bond Bond's franchise. Yes, franchise. well, that, like... I don't th- I think that's a bit unfair because this like yes it's it's added to the James Bond pantheon of films but realistically like those ones that to me like you know in comic books when they do like a restarting or a rebooting of like a number count yep where it's like Batman 926 927 and then Batman 1 yeah then the comic brand is like we need to start fresh and reboot like back to Batman 1 Casino Royale is the re- is like the revamp of the of the James Bond comic book line, if you will. Like, yeah. Well, because it was because the Pierce Brosnan ones for me, as much as I love Daniel Craig, the Pierce Brosnan ones are always a slight cut above. Sorry, Goldeneye. Yeah, is always a slight cut above. They got and then they just fast. fell off a cliff. Yeah. Daniel Craig, it was Casino Royale on that insanely high, amazing level. Still one of my favorite parkour sequences in film. Mm-hmm. Just that great sequence of going through the abandoned, or the construction site as everything is going between him and the guy with the bomb. Amazing. But at the same time, then we compare things to the original introduction to Harry Potter on the big screen. Also, I would say probably like one of the most faithful book-to-film adaptations yeah, th- there. I actually had this discussion with a friend who we're both huge Harry Potter nerds not that long ago, and we ended up agreeing that there were really only two or three important details in the book that could be excluded from the film and were. One of the primary ones being in that last sequence where he's going through all the trials with Fluffy, the three-headed dog, and then he does chess, and then he finds Quirrell underground with Voldemort in the back of his head, that there was that one sequence where... It showed Hermione's knack, I guess is the best way to put it. Her just insane ability, uh, reasoning and deduction skills with the poison versus the liquid that allowed you to move forward. Yeah. And that was the one thing that we both agreed would have been great to throw into the movie because it showed that character development of Hermione within that first film and within that first book. But outside of that, I mean, as much as I love the man who became Dumbledore... The original Dumbledore in this movie, that's Dumbledore. Yeah. That's that's him. Richard Harris. Richard Harris yeah. before he unfortunately passed. You know, that was like when he came on screen in that opening scene. Hello, Minerva. I, n- I never got I never got used as much as he like did an okay job, and I can't remember his name right now. Yeah. The second Dumbledore. Uh yeah, for me, Richard Harris was Dumbledore. It was like the perfect iteration of that character that i imagine from reading the book like hands down voice like demeanor the other dumbledore like richard harris's dumbledore was very much more astute and much more of a guiding figure and then the uh oh michael gambin yeah and michael gambin's dumbledore was more like playful and more like playful upbeat somebody yeah. who, who was kind of keeping in time with what was happening around him very was much more on the nose of like leading people on as for the Richard Harris Dumbledore was like your grandfather who was like powerful and stoic 
but always once in a while just went wink and just like give you a little like I know what's going on kid yeah and the, the Michael Gambon D- Dumbledore was like oh who knows what's gonna happen kids maybe you should look behind that door it was like <laughs> really just like a little too eccentric for me it's true I still think one of my favorite things is at the end of this movie when uh, Harry's in the recovery wing with Madame Pomfrey that uh, Richard Harris Dumbledore comes in and I think I might try one of these uh, be safe with a nice toffee and he tries one of the birdie bots every favorite beans and just deadpan straight faced alas earwax yeah, yeah and it was just so so joyous and that little hint of a smile and just wink and he's out the door and he's gone yeah because his because that's all it needed to be it yeah. didn't need to be that crazy upstanding oh earwax oh yeah, that yeah you know that michael gambon would have done as much as he is great and did an amazing job over the following five films uh that he was in after uh chamber of secrets of course something brings me back to richard harrison he's just he's the guy there's there is a powerful nature about the Richard Harris Dumbledore that I think the Michael Gambon one is missing, and I don't know why that is, but like when and like Dumbledore never really got to, they never really showed him fighting much in the films. No, it was really just the one sequence where him versus Voldemort in the Ministry of Magic. Yeah, um, and it was very short. But like, was. when you imagine what the Richard Harris one would have looked like, he just he wouldn't have even moved. No. He would have just been standing there, just one snapping back and forth. Yeah, uh, cloak just whipping behind him because that's all it needed to be. It didn't need to be the crazy. Yeah, that it ended up becoming. But so. now, so we compare, you know, Harry Potter Sorcerer's Stone. To Casino Royale. Philosopher's Stone. Philosopher's Stone, sorry. Um, yeah. Both started huge, big franchises. Casino Royale, you know, only getting to, what, it's fifth film now, I think, is coming? Uh, fifth is coming, yeah. yeah. So it was Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace. Which big was a drop. And then back with, um, uh, was it Skyfall? Yeah. Yeah, Skyfall was the one back, and then it was... Whatever the most recent Spectre. Spectre, Spectre again, yeah. you know, like in and just talk about a basically the Pierce Brosnan cliff. He dove off of it and then was on a fucking bungee rope and went right back up there well, with Skyfall. Well, no, because what like Casino Royale really put its own stamp on the James Bond world. It was definitely it was a more, new type of James Bond. It, it was, was a grittier. grittier. It yeah. was more powerful. Like again, that scene that was one of my favorite scenes when he's chasing that parkour guy and he jumps over that wall in that construction site and he just runs through the wall. Yeah, like he can be suave, he can be debonair, he can also be a killer, and it really played with a lot of cool, interesting aspects to the James Bond personality. But just like reshifted focus in certain areas, where like for the most part. All James Bond has been really suave oriented and not in that killer instinct part and yeah. that aggressive side that really pushed forward. Um, and then Quantum of Solace was just like, it went way too into like this weird backstory of that no one really cared about. It wasn't as action oriented as the first one was. And it gave you a lot of information on shit that you just didn't care about. Yeah. The thing that I always remember from Quantum of Solace specifically is that the whole film was a back and forth mental battle between the two characters. And the final scene was that they had an axe fight. Yeah. Like why that didn't need to happen. You know, you're setting up this whole thing that it is this, uh, psychological, 
not thriller per se, but definitely back and forth battle of wits. And then suddenly they're in a compound that's on fire and exploding and they're swinging axes at each other. Like, why? It had no soul. It just, it didn't know, I think it didn't know what it was. Yeah. Whereas with Casino Royale, it knew what it was. It was the, this is James Bond's backstory, which I also loved because that has never been done before. In Skyfall. In, no, in, uh, in Casino Royale. He had that whole black and white sequence of himself becoming oh, yeah, a right, double yeah. agent. Uh, a double O agent because... It gave you a little bit of a sneak peek, but then Skyfall comes and it gives you even more exactly. of his backstory. And, and it's back to like character-focused storytelling. Yeah, and it's interesting because the whole movie, Quantum of Solace, kind of lifts right out. Right? Like, if you go from that, aside from the whole thing, obviously, with uh, Spectre, whatever her name is, um, uh, like, you know, learning that little bit more and, like, his descent into slight madness skyfall was truly phenomenal yeah and this being able to kickstart something that good and then again straight into specter which was great it, not on skyfall's level yeah but it was it was definitely on casino royale's level for yeah, me a lot well i kind of disagree with that because a lot of people including myself were like it's okay coming out of skyfall it needed to be as good as skyfall and what Spectre did, and I don't know who made this decision, if it was director or the writing team, who was like, the same guy directed it, um, Sam, ooh, Sam something, I'm, I'm drawing a blank, an amazing British actor, he did American Beauty and a bunch of other great films, um, but someone along the pipeline, yeah, Sam Mendes, somewhere along the pipeline, someone implanted this idea into production that was like, you know, Skyfall was amazing, but it was super dark. And it was really dreary. We need to get back to fun James Bond. We need to get back to him having gadgets and him, like, doing insane stunts and, like, skiing down a mountain hill and, like, all these classic tropes. And, like, they brought in Blofeld. And they really went to the more, like, fun side of James Bond. And that's not what that franchise was built on. It was, it was about being grounded and gritty and real and it's all that all those, those decisions in that movie that made people really be like, ugh. Because it did a lot of, like, tropes and, like, typical James Bond stuff. Maybe I'm not remembering Spectre that well. That rem Forgive me if I'm wrong. That's the one where he goes to the secret meeting of, the, you know, all the people. And it's, um, what's his name, who was in um, Inglorious Bastards. I can never remember his name. Christoph Waltz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, it's, it's that Waltz. one. Yeah. Yeah, but there's the needle in the neck. Like, that's pretty dark not really like the, there were so many tropes of like you know he gets a new love after like what the last movie set up about him breaking up with eva yeah, green and all this shit and I like that's fair and like it really just like kind of derailed to... a lot of the serious tone that the other film brought yeah. because casino royale serious dark gritty character based awesome quantum of solace more action more highlights more fun loses skyfall back to what made it great character based gritty Dark, like fun, yeah. dramatic, great. Everyone loved it. Really amazing direction and shots. Then Spectre, which was like, like, was it wasn't even dark and gritty. It was just like fun. It tried to be a fun Bond movie, and it was a really misplace of tone because it, it was like going off of Skyfall. You're like it, it raised all these questions, and then it just seemed like okay, we're just going to veer totally in a different direction and not even, like, discuss what happened in that movie. Yeah, maybe I'm, I am I might actually have to go back and rewatch Spectre because it's been, it's been a minute. Yeah, and, and then the whole Blofeld reveal was so, like... 
messy and weird and not really remember. built up very well. I, that that to me, like that immediately realizing that I don't remember what the Blofeld reveal is means that I need yeah. to go back and rewatch this movie. But I remember so much of Skyfall and so much of Casino Royale. Yeah. And there's a reason why. Yeah. All right. So let's tangent aside. We're going to hop back into this. I, I think for me, looking at the two movies with what they became, with what they represented and what just personally how I feel about the films it's Harry Potter specifically, but specifically Philosopher's Stone, mm. right? When we compare this to something like Chamber of Secrets, when we move on to Goblet of Fire, Order of the Phoenix, it starts to go more in the way of Casino Royale. But the kickoff, the way that they made that movie feel. You mean more in the way of Quantum of Solace? Because Order of the Phoenix and those movies are not good. No, I know. That's what I'm saying. It would go to Casino Royale. Oh, if. Okay. If, yeah. So so as the Harry Potter movies progress, there are the low points that will be worse than Casino Royale, and I would choose that. But specifically, Philosopher's Stone, the start of the franchise, hitting every point. Like, there was nothing about that movie that felt like I was not in the Wizarding World. Diagon Alley, still one of the most iconic scenes ever. Of the one chooses the wizard, Mr. Potter. Here's my one wrench in, in that decision. On a creative standpoint, Harry Potter had a map to follow. It, it had did. existing source material it did. that pretty much went shot for shot and was just kind of going for it. Yeah. But it had a blueprint. It had a map to follow. It Casino did. Casino Royale started had influences because it had some it stuff had from book. the books but that, that's not following a whole book though it took no. elements of casino royale but ultimately the creation of casino royale was we have to reboot this franchise yeah. we need a new james bond we got to take it in a new direction that people haven't seen before yeah we're going to cast a guy that most people hated when they announced daniel craig was going to be james bond it's true yeah. um they introduced creative action elements that you've never seen in a James Bond film before. The it was directed really, really well. Seen. It was written really well yeah. and and gave life into a franchise that a lot of people had walked away from already. It's true, especially after what Pierce Brosnan's last three movies. Yeah. Like GoldenEye was such a high and then it dropped with Tomorrow Never Dies and then World Is Not Enough and then Die Another Day where it was to me that was rock bottom. That was like We've gone from implausible to ridiculous. Yeah, as far as like other movie comparisons, like yeah. the the last uh, Pierce Brosnan James Bond was like Batman and Robin, and then Casino Royale comes along and it's like Batman Begins Dark Knight. Like it just yeah. like gave a whole new life. And granted, the other films are have been hit or miss, but we're talking about Casino Royale, and yeah. I feel for myself on a creative standpoint that. You know, as good as Harry Potter was the first movie, to me, it's not the best out of the series. I feel that Prisoner of Azkaban and Deathly Hollows are better films, but it also had a map to follow. It wasn't it, like the directors didn't create this idea out of nothing. No, but they created the sets. They created the visuals. But they there, created were, there were the feeling of flying all, on the brooms. Yes, all described in novels. Oh yeah, had the the author there to be like, this is what this is. Yeah, people's pictures, people's depictions of everything. Yeah, Casino Royale. All they had to go off of was the Casino Royale book. That really, all they took from that novel was, I think, the card playing scene, uh, and like, that's really it. Maybe it was a card playing scene and the girl. 
I don't th- the ending with the girl I don't think was involved, but it was yeah. There was the but love the, interest. The, in the, dire- the tone, the direction to go with James Bond, the action scenes. I feel there was a lot more. I mean, yes, it is based off of a long-standing cinematic character that has trips and stuff to it. Mm-hmm. Um, don't get me wrong, I love Casino Royale. I really do. That movie is incredible. I've seen it, God knows how many times. But it's the same thing with Harry Potter for me. I've seen it God knows how many times. Everything about that movie, to me, is on point. There is nothing that I look back on and go, this should have been done better. Or this was bad. Same with Casino Royale, though. There are a couple of sequences in the movie where I'm just kind of like, nah. Like what? The whole random sequence with him and the random love interest before... Uh, the girl that he ends up before the girl who's the money penny. I'm the money. Oh, the hot girl he meets. Yeah, the hot girl that he yeah, meets after the location. card game. That yeah, that's he, like, fun. He hooks up with random hot women but, and gets information from them. That's yeah, what they do. It just it didn't feel right for the film because the whole thing there is that he was new to being a double O agent. This was one of his first missions. He had only recently killed somebody. You know, his first kill was in the black and white, and the second one's much easier, and he just shoots the guy. And then it goes into that whole thing where all of a sudden he's just kind of like that. It just, it didn't feel perfect. And I didn't like the way that that tied into the story that she was, you know, the girl of the guy that he was following, but he ended up hooking up with her anyways, even though that could have been like some kind of insight to him seeing like, oh, maybe she's involved in some way, but no, he just kills her. There's no deep dive into like why that happened why she's angry with him, why he would be following her, anything like that. So there are some aspects of the movie that I I do kind of have issue with. Overall, phenomenal film. But Harry Potter, for me, it's finding a fault is very difficult in that film. There is nothing that I really look back on and go, this could have been done better. Here's, here's how. And both are film adaptations of novel source material sure and one of the largest books of uh, series ever if not the largest book series ever yeah. as far as i'm aware and because you know in bond they did change up a lot of things as far as adaptation goes q was a different actor yep uh, introduction M is now a woman instead of a man yep um a couple things like that well m was always a woman m was a man oh no sorry yeah you're right m was a man well, well, they brought in judy dench to be the new m well, no, Judy Dench was M for Brosnan too. Was she? Yeah, she okay. was. Uh, she was M for Brosnan. Q was I can never remember his name, but the ancient English guy. Then they brought in John Cleese as R right. in Die Another Day, I think, or in World's Not Enough. Uh, and then he just carried on the role. Yeah. Uh, oh no, sorry, he didn't because it was recast with that super young guy. Yeah, you're right. So yeah, Q was recast, but M carried on with Judy Dench. And then like you can't you can't like mention. Uh, the first Harry Potter without the supporting cast that were all all phenomenal. Point. Robbie like, Coltrane's still the epitome of Hagrid. That's who he is. Yeah. Right. Um, when you're looking at oh god, uh, Minerva McGonagall. What what's her name? Uh, Maggie. Maggie Smith. Yeah. Right. Maggie Smith. She is McGonagall. There's everyone that you look at. And when you look back on Harry, Alan Rickman. Harry Potter. Alan yeah. Rickman. Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think you're going to convince me on this one. I'm getting the point. For Harry Potter. Getting the point. Yeah. Well, like... 
Because this I is the thing, the, is again, Harry Potter versus Skyfall, we're both in agreement. Skyfall is the clear winner. I don't like I don't even know if that would be true. Just because Really? Well You know it would be. Come on. Well, just because, like, yeah, the the thing separating these two, because they're both adaptations of original source of original source material. Yep. Um, but the reason I went more on the creative side for Casino Royale is because their risk of taking James Bond that people know and altering it to a newer version and it working is was risky and worked really well. Compare that to the risk of adapting what is at the time the most popular book series ever. And could adapt have, that and could have, to a, a lot film. of it could have been wrong. It could have been horrific. And they got it could have been right. Aragon bad. Yeah. Right? If they and they got that so right to the point that every single one of those characters followed through until the end of the series unless they died. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's the huge one for me. There were no recasts. And out of the seven films, well, eight if you count eight part two. Eight if you two, count part two, yeah. Like five and six were, to me, the Low real points. missteps in the whole series. Yep. But having five... Having five, eight, like... Six top amazing class, amazing movies. films with incredible casts, incredible scripts, granted... You know, from source material. And the still. bonds, like right now, because because these are both the births of huge franchises. When yeah. you compare franchises, Potter has more wins than misses. And Casino Royale and, and the Daniel Craig franchise is 50-50. It is. Yeah. Two solid movies, two bad movies. Yeah. Harry Potter, eight total movies, five solid movies. Two, maybe three. Spectre, I would say not bad, but like, but okay. Okay. It's just, it's, it's tolerable yeah. versus I'm excited to watch Spectre versus, oh, Spectre's on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I guess you're going to convince me and Harry Potter will get the points. Harry Potter. Jordy finally gets a point on the board. The board. Oh man. That was a hard one. That was a tough one. That was, that was closer than I thought it would be when I keep looking back. This is not. <laughs> this is this is very very not close. We have uh, 2005 original Sin City versus Jurassic Park Two: The Lost World from 1997. I think we both agree this is a very clear Sin City victory. It is, but I have a soft spot for Lost World. I have a soft spot for Lost for Lost World as well. Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> What are you doing? That's your Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> what is that? That's not Jeff Goldblum. I don't know Jeff what that Goldblum. is. <laughs> That's like Jack Nicholson on Helium or something. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. Uh, but yeah, Sin City, like, I love The Lost World. Um, Jurassic Park, to me, is actually one of my favorite franchises of all time. Even though it has, like, one amazing movie, two good movies, and one... We don't talk about that yeah. bastard child film. Yeah. But Sin City is definitely just yeah, amazing. Creatively, artistically, it's one of my And it was something that had time. never really been done when it first came out, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, alrighty. Yeah. Next up, we got Kevin Smith's legendary indie film Clerks against 2001 action film Laura Croft Tomb Raider, which we actually had a pretty decent talk in our last section with Tomb Raider. Yeah. Well, it was Tomb Raider Battle of the Bad. What was it going up against? Uh, Tomb Raider was against... I think it was another action film um, that was similar... 
that was like not very good quality. Just, yeah. But we said Tomb Raider one because it was more fun and more dedicated to the character. You know, yeah, I think it was more so that there were like there were enough cool sequences in Tomb Raider that it was yeah. better than what the other one was. But make sure you check out last week's one and listen to what our thoughts were on that one because yeah. obviously we're too dumb to remember. But for me, that's gonna be Clerks. It's Clerks. It's not even close. Like yeah. Clerks is, is just incredible. Even when you go back and rewatch that, that movie is twenty four years and old. It's still funny as it's fuck. It's still hilarious. Still quoted to this day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is this is on par with some of the greatest comedies of the nineties for me. Yeah. Yeah. Clerks. Alrighty. Next up, I Robot, <laughs> two thousand four Will Smith thing action action movie, movie thing sci fi versus Mission Impossible three. So, remind me if I'm wrong. Mission Impossible 3 is uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman? Yeah. Yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, J.J. Yeah. Abrams J.J. Directed. Abrams directed. And this was back in the day when everybody said, J.J. Abrams was a TV, TV guy. guy. He yeah. can't make a movie. This is going to be terrible. It's so bad. And at the time, it was not well received. But looking... Oh, no, it wasn't. I remember the reviews on that when it first came out were no, not it that was, good. It was... It did pretty well. It did pretty well, but... Looking back on that, it did that's better a, than the second Mission well, Impossible. Well, because the second Mission no Impossible was a piece of garbage. I remember watching the theater and like I can't remember grade six or seven, actually liking it. Well, yeah, because it was an action movie. It was that like a fun Tom action Cruise, summer right? movie. Like, yeah. who cares? You didn't. You weren't invested in the characters. But I really like Mission Impossible. I really. Li- I actually I went back and rewatched that not that long ago, and it's really good. Yeah. Because I remember watching it and not liking it that much, and so I kind of just shelved it. You know, never went to that point of actually. Checking it out again, I just kind of wanted to uh, move on to the other films, see where things were going. But in our case, I went back and rewatched that. His performance is unreal. Philip yeah. Seymour Hoffman, so good. Um, the whole sequence of the the actual twist is great. And Do you have a wife? You have a daughter? So I'm going to find her. Yeah. I'm going to hurt her. That's my Philip Seymour Hoffman. Ethan! But Ethan! no, yeah, no, it was really like it was really good. And uh, it's razor thin tension, and like when I, when I remember first watching that, feeling like that Philip Seymour Hoffman was like a credible threat. Oh and yeah, like, well, and he fuck. had he had like they had nothing on him. Yeah, like absolutely nothing. The only way to stop him is how it, they stopped him. Yeah, right. That's it. He didn't give a crap. Like they were gonna throw him out of a plane, <laughs> and he's just sitting lying back there laughing. Yeah, like that was amazing. Um, yeah. and then you got iRobot, which like, it's not a bad movie. It's such a, follows that nineties action formula that a lot of films are going on in the early two thousands that yeah. like the, like star vehicle franchise are trying to hold on to. We're like, here is your lead yeah. actor. That's the box office draw. And here's a typical play by numbers action film. Cause I there were some good parts in iRobot. There were some good parts in iRobot for sure. And I actually still like the CG to this yeah. day. It's actually done very well. But the thing about iRobot that is just hilarious for me, and I'm realizing this right now, name another actor in iRobot. Mm, oh, oh, oh. Um, Transformers boy. What's his name? Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf? He plays the little kid. That he like ta- like tries to like tag along with and everything. Right. Yeah. That's about it though. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Whereas we can name at least three or four or five yeah. characters in Mission Impossible Three. We remember specific characters. Amazing. This movie overall is definitely good. Great film. But yeah, it's just it's easily a Mission Impossible yeah. Three for me. Same here. No contest. Mission Impossible Three beats iRobot. Moving on. 
Hey, oh, okay. Oh. oh, okay. Never mind. I read the first title and I was like, oh, this will be interesting. And then I read the second one. No, it's not. So back on the board, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Plus but Stone. there's no fucking way it's beating Empire Strikes Back. So Empire Strikes Back. This is the first time that we've ranked Empire Strikes Back. So let's go ahead and just pick that one yeah. right away because this is not even close. It the, is literally my favorite movie of all time. Uh, for me, it is number one or two. It's either yeah. that or Raiders, depending on what I'm in the mood for. Uh, <laughs> Battle of the Stupid Comedy Sequels, American Pie 2 versus Harold and Kumar 2. Escape from Guantanamo Bay. Yeah, I saw yeah. it once. I've seen it a couple of times. Uh, I remember very specific sequences of it as being very funny. The whole George Bush smoking weed in his cabin. And, right. Oh, shit, is Cheney there? Oh, God, I got to hide from him. That guy's crazy. But, uh, like these... but American Pie 2, that movie's actually good. Like it's when okay. you go, I, haven't, oh, I haven't seen it in a long time. You should time. actually go back and rewatch American Pie 2. It is really good. It holds up. Granted, it's all the tropes, the classic, you know, uh, summer after uh, summer after first year university, wanting to do something crazy because you haven't been able to do anything crazy during the year. And it hits all of those things. It's the party at the beach house. Oh, it's yeah. falling in love again, meeting up with all the people that you went no, to high school yeah. with. No, you're right. It's I... a it's actually a really good movie. Yeah. And not to mention the the birth of um, the whole love interaction between uh, I can never Jason. Oh, what's his name? Who's the guy who plays the the main guy? Oh, I haven't seen him in so long. Yeah, I, I don't remember his name. Anymore. But yeah, it was that whole thing of like his. Uh, the girl coming to fruition, Nadia, that she had gone away and that she came back and they actually had a chance. And then he's yeah, like, "Yeah, no, you no, know what? You're refreshing my memory. Yeah, it I'm was a pretty band geek. It was a pretty good, solid sequel to a really revered comedy. Well, yeah, because the first one was very good. I actually hold the second one in slightly higher regard, not least of which is because of the whole super glue incident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> super glue incident. That to me is it, it's stupid bathroom humor. You know, whatever, five years down the road, ten years down the road when I'm in my mid-30s, I'm not going to care as much about it. But at 28 right now, that's just one of the funniest. And especially when that came out at like 17 and you're just kind of like, oh, oh, God, oh. So, yeah, that that was definitely a good one for me and one that I look back on with a, a lot of a lot of good memories. Yeah, and that one for sure, I think we're going to pick American Pie 2. Over Harold and Kumar too. Agreed. And our final flick chart debate for this session is going to be two heavyweight cult classic movies. Brian Singer's Usual Suspects 1995 versus Tim Burton's Beetlejuice 1988. That movie is from 1988. That yeah. is a year older than I am. Yeah, same here. I still grew up with that movie. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, okay, so first off, Beetlejuice. One of the best Michael Keaton performances of all time. A very revered film, not only in Tim Burton's catalog, but just it's a cult classic that people love to this day. They quote to this day cosplayers still act out to this day oh yeah beetlejuice like the character of that is still i think one of the most cosplayed characters even with all of anime and all it's of showtime yeah, yeah. It's showtime. and then you got usual suspects great crime thriller mystery film film noir-ish to a fault started brian singer's career basically kevin spacey before we knew he was a dick 
Yeah, the Kaiser Soze Oh my twist. god. That like, still is... I think that's still one of the biggest twists in film yeah. that's ever been released. It's incredible. Um, yeah, and Gabriel Byrne as well in being in that. It, actually, Alec Baldwin versus Stephen Baldwin. Yeah, Benicio Del Toro. <laughs> Benicio Del Toro. One of his Toro, first roles. Kevin Pollock's in this. Yeah. Yeah, oh my god. Pete Postlewaite. Wow. Yeah. God, you just forget how many people are actually in this yeah. movie, too. It was a really good cast. But Sam, like, Beetlejuice had a good cast, too. Winona Ryder's first films. Gina Davis, Alec Baldwin. Yeah. Yeah. Man. So, and very different films. One more of, like, a spooky comedy. And one is more, you know, action-oriented, film noir-ish. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck, well, how do you choose... It is really, really tough in this case. I mean, the thing for me is I was introduced to Beetlejuice at a young age. You know, it is very much a comedy film that is a cult classic, but can be enjoyed by children substantially, yeah. right? Even if it has its scary moments, it's something that you can put on in front of a couple of six or seven year olds and, you know, they'll find it maybe a little bit scary. They'll follow along with the general plot and they'll be scared to say Beetlejuice three times. Yeah. Whereas Usual Suspects, you need to be an adult. You need yeah. to know and be able to follow along and track that film. I don't know, there's some, there's a little, like if you're a young kid, there's some scary parts in Beetlejuice, like the sandworms and like... The sandworms only really pop up in like two scenes. I guess so. Right? It, it's more so the scariness of what you're seeing versus yeah. what actually, like what we would consider a scary film. Yeah. Right? That's like, that's why I'm saying like in the, you know... Six or seven, you know, and you're, you're in grade two at school kind of thing. Uh, and then this movie can come on and your parents can maybe introduce you to this. I kind of hold this in the same way of being scary, actually substantially less so than Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park, legitimately scary movie yeah. as a kid. I, I was seeing that movie when I was six, right? And didn't really have that much of an issue. Most of my friends were seeing that movie before they turned eight. Beetlejuice is definitely something that I can imagine kids getting into at a, a slightly younger age like that. But Usual Suspects, you know, when you became to that point where you could follow along with films that demanded your attention, mm -hmm. that you needed to pay attention to, actually know what was going on in the plot, be able to recognize the characters. And so well written. So too. well written. Like, not only from the characters' standpoints, their dialogue, but like the story in general, how it twists and turns, like leads you along into thinking it's going one way and then completely just does a right turn and takes you into another. Yeah, not to mention Academy Award winning as well. Kevin Spacey won for Best Actor in a Supporting Role, which is still crazy to me that he was a supporting actor in yeah. that movie. Um, and then, as you were saying, Best Writing. Best Screenplay written directly for the screen, non-adaptation for Christopher, uh, Christopher McQuarrie. Just incredible movie. Something that I still look back on and... That whole end sequence where he's walking out with the limp and the limp slowly disappears and he gets in the car and you just know in that instant that you've been taken along for that whole ride just like everybody else in the movie was. Yeah, and that sequence when they're in the the, the police detective uh, or in the detective's uh, office and he's like, man, like we, we solved it. And he's looking at all the things in his room and realizing this whole talk with Kevin Spacey has been like just looking at things in a room and making up a story and dropping the coffee cup and doing that classic like oh my god moment. Not to mention still one of my favorite improvs of all film was them in the lineup. That whole thing where they started right. singing and started laughing. Yeah. That was that was all improv because they just they couldn't not laugh at each other. Yeah. And then creatively you got Beetlejuice which 
stylistically, art direction-wise... Nothing was ever on that level. That right? For that insane. time, that was crazy. And being able to use what was not CGI at that time to be able to do those crazy faces yeah. on Gina Davis and on Alec Baldwin, like, that is unbelievable makeup skill and prop skill and coming and like that. tim burton coming right off of batman too. right off of batman or was straight, batman 89 uh batman was 89 i think he or did batman, batman, batman first then beetlejuice or he did beetlejuice first then batman uh beetlejuice then batman yeah yeah uh yeah tim burton uh obviously you know god knows how many movies are in his repertoire of uh just incredible films but looking back over his entire filmography as a director, I mean, we're going back to early 90s or early 80s through the mid 80s. Beetlejuice was his big thing after Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah. Right? It was Frank and Weenie, that <laughs> 1984 short film. Then Pee Wee's Big Adventure was his real introduction, but totally not the Tim Burton that everybody knows. I bet a lot of people didn't even know he directed that. Yeah. Uh, and then it's straight from that into Beetlejuice, Batman, Edward Scissorhands, oh, Batman fuck. Returns. Yeah. Right? That was, Wood. That was his five-year run was yeah. amazing cult classic film into one of the best franchises of all time, into amazing cult classic film, into arguably one of the best sequels of all time. Mm -hmm. I still hold Batman Returns in higher regard than Batman just, and Edward Scissorhands. And Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, it's incredible. And then into Ed Wood, and then fall off a little bit from there. Mars then, Attacks. Mars Attacks, Sleepy Hollow, Hollow, Big Fish, Corpse Bride, Charlie yeah. and the Chocolate Factory. You know, he's had his misses in the last but his early 10 or 15 years. Still... But that five-year period that you had four movies come out that you directed that were the best of the best, there's no debate in my eyes that Tim Burton was at his prime mm. when this movie came out. So this one is really hard. I think for me, looking back on everything, I'm leaning towards Usual Suspects because of the script, that it is an incredible story, that it, it doesn't need to show you anything. The whole thing is just told to you. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Beetlejuice, the visuals are there. You need a little bit of the context. There is that comedic relief aspect to it. But from a sheer film perspective, and especially from a script one perspective. One is more entertaining and fun. The other is more serious, but like... More entertaining and serious. Completely immerses you in that world, oh, and yeah. you like really don't know where it's going. And for those who haven't seen Usual Suspects, it is arguably one of, if not the biggest plot twist in all all of film yeah and one of the best heist movies too of oh all time. so good yeah yeah there are a lot of, like every heist movie for the last 15 but years is trying to be with that suspects. said it's one of the best heist movies of all time whereas, following a genre of heist films whereas there is nothing like beetlejuice it's true beetlejuice like, it is original it is funny it is smart it is it launched tim burton's career into the mega stratosphere got michael keaton on the map it's true. Which he was already a kind of a star at that time, but like doing but this, then falling with Batman. Batman, and then Batman Returns. Yeah, that was huge for him as well. Alec Baldwin being involved in this as much as he was. Gina Davis, after things like A Leave Their Own. Mm. Her being involved in Over Rider. Yeah, I think I think we're slowly leaning towards the same thing, which is Beetlejuice. And I love, love, love Usual Suspects. But I think in terms of rewatchability, it's 
it can only ever be Beetlejuice because you can basically see in Usual Suspects, in my opinion, twice. Once, where you don't know what's happening, you see the final end, you know what the twist is, and then the second time is you go back through and you see the plot, knowing what's going to happen and seeing how it gets to that point. Beyond that, it's it's a good movie, but you don't get much out of it every further it is, time. It is a very, like, when, when you go into film studies or film class, it is, like, one of the films, like, this is a textbook, like, amazing heist film with a twist um, and was obviously Brian Singer's first big film, launched a lot of careers. Did. But Beetlejuice is just creatively so unique, so great, funny, multiple watches. Oh, yeah. And it was like the start of like the Tim Burton renaissance. That first, like his first six films were just fucking out of this world, crazy good. It's true. And I personally, as much as I like Kevin Spacey's performance, Benicio's performance, and yep. Usual Suspects, it's more of an adult film. There's something about Tim Burton and Michael Keaton's collaboration with Beetlejuice that I think will stand the test of time with me. Usual Suspects will probably t stand the test of time as like classic heist film storytelling. Yeah. But Beetlejuice, I think, is just a film that will be that cult film that people keep bringing up again and again and again that you want to show your kids and like people rediscover and like want to keep with them forever. Yeah, and I agree with that. And actually, when I look back on this, it's interesting to look and see, just because we've been talking about it a lot today, is the whole idea of reboots. You know, having a Beatle having usual suspects be remade with a modern cast, similar storyline, but you know, following those same tropes, that I think could be done and could be done very well. I don't know if I could see a Beetlejuice yeah, being yeah. remade and being that successful. It's like unless it was Beetle because there was a sequel to Beetlejuice that was in the works forever called Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. It was oh. a actual script that got shopped around a lot in the early '90s and never got got to production. Good. But imagine if this day and age, with the re re resurgence of Michael Keaton, yeah. if they did that movie and he still plays Beetlejuice, that would be that would I be never quite died, amazing. I'm still here. He looks dead already in Beetlejuice. It wouldn't be that much of a stretch to just put him in dead makeup again. It's true. It um, is true. So but yeah. So I think we're in agreement here that it is Beetlejuice. Did I change your mind from Usual Suspects to Beetlejuice? See, I was fifty fifty. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna not give you the point on this okay. one. I'm gonna take the I'm gonna take the win. So go ahead and take your yeah, L. Yeah, sure you will. Take take your L. Take your L. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's gonna do it for this week's flick chart debates. Thank you everyone for listening to this edition of the Rated Park Podcast. Thank you to G. Rose, Jordy Rose, for coming down and discussing films with me once again. Always happy to do it. And I guess, guys, Beetlejuice will win over Usual Suspects. But if you agree or disagree with anything we've said, please chime in. Uh, if you're listening to this on Anchor, call in. Tell us what you feel about the films we've discussed. And we'll take the conversation from there. As always, guys, thank you so much for listening. And put down the remote and go watch a motherfucking movie.